0: Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast, my name is Jan Dawson. My usual co-host, Aaron Miller, is away for the next couple of weeks in Ghana. That's something that we explained a little bit about last week, so check out that episode if you haven't yet. In lieu of our usual format then, over the next couple of weeks, I'll be doing some interviews with other interesting people. This week, the interview is with an old friend of mine called Ryan Wright. He was formerly uh, Global VP of uh, Marketing at Sony BMG Records uh, and is now at a company called Cobalt, where he's the CMO. And he talks us through some of the changes that have been happening in the music industry over the last 15 years or so uh, with the rise of streaming and everything associated with that and how uh, the industry's changed and the role of the company that he works for now, Cobalt, plays in all of that. It's a company that is responsible for collecting Uh, music distributions from the major uh, streaming services and other services around the world and passing those on to labels and then to artists and so he comes at it from that perspective but talks through some of those changes and the economic and financial implications of those changes and where he sees streaming music and music in general going so that's going to be the bulk of the episode today I'll show up again at the end briefly just to wrap things up but hope you enjoy the interview okay Ryan why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about your background in the music industry and how you got to where you are today
1: well, it's a long story, <laughs> but I'll give you the short version. Okay. Um, actually started at Samsung in Korea, uh, Seoul, Korea. Samsung was starting a, a music business. It was the Samsung entertainment company and they were starting a record company and they were getting into TV. And, um, I was this sort of young I don't know, 23 year old who spoke Korean cause I had lived there when I was younger. And, uh, and so, because I was American, they thought, oh, he, he knows pop music. And so, <laughs> they just started sending me around the world trying to find um, sort of English-speaking music that we could sign for Korea. And, right. And uh, we ended up signing, I don't know, maybe two or three dozen different acts. And one of them was the Backstreet Boys. Oh, wow. And uh, okay. they were, you know... Nick was 14, I guess, at the time, very young. Um, And uh, actually, Korea and Germany were the first two countries to to break the Backstreet Boys um, years before they came out in in America. And uh, and they were signed to Jive Records. And so I worked the Backstreet Boys in Korea for the next two years for Samsung. And then Jive Records was like, hey, who's this, you know? this american kid out in asia that's um this doing you know great stuff for for the backstreet boys and, and and then around that time they signed uh britney spears and then uh, about a year later they signed nsync so we really had the three biggest acts in the world all at at one time and and right. you you're probably too young to remember all that but um <laughs> it was it was it was massive so um jive then hired me out of samsung and we moved to singapore and over the next five years, we lived in Singapore, which is where I met you. Um, right. And uh, sort of over those five years, we ended up setting up uh, Jive Korea, Jive Singapore, Jive Japan, Jive Australia, Jive Malaysia, um, and sort of releasing records. And again, I was just a kid. I had no idea what I was doing, but the music industry in Asia was sort of the Wild West at the time, and it, you know, as long as you were sort of bringing in results, they were like, just super happy, so um, we just kept selling albums, I mean, at one point, we didn't even have an office in, in Korea, and, and I had literally, like, thousands of CDs, like, stacked up in my apartment, and it was, um, it was a crazy time, and um, so that was, was five years, and, and digital hadn't really hit yet um, until, I guess, the early 2000s, and, uh, and then BMG ended up buying Jive, um it's probably the biggest coup of of all time. Um BMG was actually forced to buy Jive because of a deal that they had uh, for um 3.2 I think it was billion dollars. Wow. Um, which was just unheard of. Um it was at the height of the music industry and and then literally within years all of BMG wasn't even worth that. In fact you know, all of BMG and all of Sony today aren't, aren't worth that. Right. So um, it was a yeah, it was a, an amazing deal. And, and BMG took Jive, and then BMG came to me and said, "Hey, why don't you move to New York and do what you were doing, but you know, for the world?" Um, mm-hmm. So I went. to I joined BMG um, and started what was called the global marketing. Um, and then Sony bought BMG. And um, I ran global marketing for Sony Music for the next i guess six years, and mm-hmm. uh, you know oversaw the releases of you know beyonce and Michael Jackson I, w- I was you know working Michael Jackson when he died um, you know broke Maroon Five and the Kings of Leon and the Foo Fighters and the the Strokes and we had usher and you know all the way from you know George Michael to Bob Dylan. I mean, it's Sony Music. You know, is an Mm -hmm. amazing roster of talent. And trying to, you know, album by album, single by single, um, grow their audience. And uh, at the same time that all this was happening, the music industry was in a free fall um, Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, 2000 to... To today <laughs> basically right. in fact right. today yeah. just about last month the ifpi released um their numbers um so that's the that's the like the, the recording body uh the recorded music body in, in the world and they announced for the first time i think in 15 years that the music the global music industry has seen growth uh past right. this last year mm-hmm. so anyway over 15 years nosedive um and so during that time, for me, running global marketing, it, you know, my budgets were, I mean, you know, ten percent of what they were ten years before that. And every mm-hmm. year, just cutting and cutting and cutting, and right. having to spend less and less. In fact, when we merged, when Sony and BMG merged in two thousand and eight, we were twenty five thousand people. When I left Sony Music in two thousand and twelve, so that's four years later, we were five thousand people.
0: Holy cow. Okay.
1: So it's yep. <laughs> just, just people, I think, underestimate what was really happening. And imagine what that does to like a culture of a company, you know, and, and, and an mm-hmm. entire industry, right. um, just felt like it was disappearing and, and, and obviously lost to piracy and, and then iTunes came in and, and, and Spotify came in and, and, you know, it's, things started to turn around. But, um, right. so I really focused on those years, not just on, you know, how to make our artists bigger but finding new ways and cheaper ways to reach our audience and and obviously because of the internet and and social media and all that it, it became um, a whole new way to, to speak directly to fans you know before it was we'd be doing you know these kind of large- scale TV ads or big TV shows you know you'd do a, a big performance on American Idol or right. X Factor where all of a sudden you could actually find your core like super fans and you can engage them and speak to them and deliver them bits and pieces of content. And it was just like a whole new way of marketing, obviously for everyone, not just the music industry. But Mm. your music fans are very engaged and it's very different you know, than marketing, I don't know, you know a, a, a soft drink or, or potato chips or, or right. something. It, it, it moves people. And mm-hmm. so they're very passionate. And, and obviously, it's also about, you know, celebrity. And, and you could have them meet, you know, face to face and concerts and, and that kind of thing. So um, it was like a, a total wild roller coaster. Um, and um, And now I'm at Cobalt. Right, um, we could talk a little bit about that, but that's kind of you know my nice, yeah. nice story okay. in short.
0: Yeah. So, so do you talk about Cobalt a little bit? So, tell us what Cobalt is and what you do there, because I think that's interesting and sort of a different side of the music industry.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely different. Um, so, the chairman of Sony Music, who was my boss, his name's Richard Sanders. Um, he left Sony to join Cobalt, and um, Cobalt is an alternative to the traditional music industry so as the music industry was changing in like this digital world um, the record companies and publishing companies themselves really haven't changed because they're the creative people you know they they're not technology companies and so you've seen actually all of the all of the real innovation in the music industry has come from, in the past 10 years, has come from outside the music industry. It's, it's Apple and Spotify and YouTube. Um, you know, those are definitely Amazon. Those are the biggest players in the music industry today. Um, and none of them are, are music companies. None right. of them are, you know, talent, you know, record companies or publishing companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came and met with Willard, who's the, the creator, the founder of Cobalt. And he started Cobalt about 15 years ago. And within 45 minutes of talking to this guy, I had just drunk the Kool-Aid, and that was about three years ago. And um, and I came in and joined Cobalt. So I'm the CMO of, of Cobalt now. And it's everything actually more than he... Than he promised. Um, I mean, what we're doing here is definitely the most disruptive thing that's maybe ever happened in the music industry. Um, so, I can just tell you a little bit about that and what COBOL is. Um, so, about 15 years ago, Willard, uh, he's Swedish, he was running a, a music publishing company in, in, in Sweden. He was also an artist himself before that. And he saw that talent, you know, music talent, it was sometimes takes them two to three years to get paid. Um, the, the statements that they would get are, you know, sometimes they have to be delivered in boxes. I mean, they, they, there's pages after pages of pages, and because they're so late after the, the, the money, uh, the accounting comes so late, again, sometimes two to three years after um, the, of the usage, there's no way to track and see, are you being cheated? Is the money all there or not? And it's all done in like quarters. And so you'd have to have like an army of accountants to actually to audit it. And actually to audit it, the only option you have is to sue the company. So there's zero transparency. Um,
0: and so what we're talking about here is the relationships between, say, Spotify or somebody and the record label and then the artist. So the payments that go back and forth between those companies.
1: Correct or be, well between so there's there's lots of different payments right that that come into a music company so yes there's streaming companies let's say like like Spotify and YouTube and Apple Music there's also payments um, like sync payments so every time a song is used in a commercial um, or on a, in a film um, there's also uh, what we call performance uh, royalties which. Let's say a song is played in a pub or in a hair salon. You know, in in Japan or, you know, in um, a public space in Venezuela or all around the world, music is being used and it's it has to be paid for. Right. And so, about fifteen years ago, the number of places where money had to be collected from was a lot less because everything was being, you know, sold on CDs and they're collected by record stores and the record Mm -hmm. stores then account and then you have radio and you know there's you know there's still you know a lot but imagine now as looking ahead you know 15 years if you're like 15 years ago looking ahead at how the music industry was going to change if you look at streaming well one song today like a hit song can have billions of microtransactions attached to it because Now, let's take YouTube, for example. So, the way YouTube accounts to us, well, it depends. Every time a song is watched on YouTube, um, it depends how long they watched. It depends what kind of advertising was attached to that song, um, how long the advertising was watched, um, how much of that song was used. Um, Did the person who, who, who put the content up own the content? And that's just YouTube. So imagine that on Spotify. So every time, you know, someone watches or listens to something on Spotify, um, Apple music, um, and this is all around the world, every different country, every play has to be accounted for. Um, so it's no longer a straightforward. I'm going to pay, you know, nine ninety nine 99 for this album or, you know, 99 cents for the song. Now it's like I'm paying $10 a month. And then depending on how many times people, you know, listen to my, or I listen to a song, and, and then you accumulate that over millions and millions of people all around the world, it becomes hyper-complicated. So on a royalty statement today, for example, one song it can have you know, hundreds of thousands of different royalty lines, and each of those royalty lines can stand for you know Spotify income. And then within Spotify, you have, again, you know, millions of different lines that you've got to collect for, because every song, every, every usage, if you will, is coming in at a different rate. So you have all of this information coming in. And so Willard, this is 15 years ago, Willard's looking at it and saying, okay, hold on, you can see where this is all going, right? With Napster was there and everything is going online. And he's like, if it's difficult to keep track now in like a physical world, and you know because you have all these accountants and it's all paper recording and artists and 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 songwriters creators is what we call them they're they're, get, they're getting screwed because there's no way for them to audit there's no way for them to track all of this and and so Willard said you know what we the only way to solve this problem is through technology so he started this he started Cobalt which ultimately is a is a tech company I mean it's also a music company but. What, what we stand apart from the others is uh, he, he got some investors to invest in and has been developing over the past decade. It's the world's biggest you know, global music um, coll- royalty collections platform. So um, this is the platform that, I- I- if you will, sort of stands centrally in the world and then goes out to all of these different places, so to the Spotify's, to, the, um, to Apple Music, to all of the collection societies in each country who are collecting from those hair salons, and the clubs, and, um, and, then, and from YouTube, and, and it's collecting all that money in, accounting for it, and then paying it out to its clients. Because you also have to realize that every song has multiple rights owners. So most people who write a song, they're not the only songwriter. In fact, most of today's top 100 are written by four to five to six different people. And there are lots of, we call them points, right? A lot of people have different points. And, you know, on a Beyonce song, she might have 15% and then, um, you know, the producer might have four to 5% and then there's maybe four songwriters and each of them have, you know, 15%. So every time money comes in, imagine these billions of royalty lines, they then have to be split up. And each of those people are represented by different publishers. So it's not just that one company is collecting it all. You have to collect, and then you have to divvy it all back out. So it's extremely complicated. Um, so he spent the last sort of 15 years building that database, if you will, um, and the engine uh, that, that collects so much more efficiently. So right now, we collect our revenue for our clients... Um, about two to three years faster. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. In fact, oh, when, when I was I was speaking the other day with a journalist, he's like, he 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 sent me this, like fact checked his story, and he put two to three days, and I said, oh yeah, no no no, no two <laughs> to three years, and he's like, that can't be. I'm like, I know, <laughs> that's what's so crazy, um, and that's why Cobalt's been growing like crazy. So we've we've grown forty percent. In revenue every year for the past twelve years, um, we're now the 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 largest independent publisher in the world. Um, if you look at like Billboard, every quarter puts out um, you know ranking pub publishers market share. So Sony ATV uh, is number one right now. Cobalt is number two. So we've grown into you know definitely one of the biggest music publishers in the world and growing and growing and growing. Um, so so in in some ways it's a collection platform but then also what happened is as as cobalt grows and and we're realizing you know what technology has allowed us to do it's not just collect more efficiently and and so in other words collecting more so we're not just getting them paid faster we pay our clients 30 to 40% more than the others because imagine it's like if you had a mail truck that had to go around to every country in the world and collect money and then bring it back to you things are going to get lost some mail trucks get broken down i mean this is an analogy you know but right. some, they break down and takes 2 years and then oh someone had to take out a share out of this and someone took of that and this got lost and this versus like literally like an email button where you you send an email out it goes they send an email back within a day it's it's that dramatic of a difference so you know we say that the money lost in the traditional music pipeline is can be 60 to 70% of the revenue it just gets lost through you know middlemen and inaccurate data and because people make mistakes in accounting and that and so you know 60 to 70% of that that's lost we make up that difference so you have you know our clients are not only getting paid more they're getting paid faster and then because it's all tech it's all trackable so everything's transparent we, we we have what's called the, the portal, which is every one of our clients can log on and see all of their data in real time. So I mean that's unheard of in the music industry. I mean for for like you and I, that seems just ob- obvious, you know, right? Obvious. Because yeah. it's like, well of course you can do that with your bank. You can do that, mm-hmm. you know, with even your car wash, you know, you can see everything today like in real time, but not in the music industry, because it's still a very old school industry where you have accountants and and they haven't adapted to the time. And, and that's, that's what Cobalt has done. So, so then as, as Cobalt was able to deliver, um, faster, more, and then transparently, we sort of carved out a, a, a sort of a value system for our, of our own, which is, Hey, we're on the artist side here. You know, we're, we're here to help them get paid more, to get paid right. faster. And as those values started to develop, we really then started a revolution and, and because what, what started happening in the past two or three years as, as streaming started to pick up, a lot of artists have come out and saying, hey, this, this isn't working for us. You know, we're not seeing the money come out of Spotify. And yet Spotify saying, hey, we just paid out like three billion dollars to the industry. We're paying. You know, they pay 70 to 75 percent of all of their revenues to the music industry. So Spotify's saying, and YouTube is in the same battle right now. And so they're saying, we pay the money out. Well, where is it going? And so there's there's a spotlight has like been shown on the major, you know, record companies, music companies. And Cobalt's over here on the other side saying, Well, our artists aren't complaining, our clients, because they're all getting paid. And we can show you how they're getting paid because mm. we have it all transparently. So Cobalt's right in the middle right now of like this whirlwind of, of frustration from creators. And um, it's, it's a great place to be right now because everybody's interested in that story.
0: Right. So I guess the big questions that I want to ask you are about kind of what is the issue for the music industry right now? Is it this? Is it that the music, some the, the revenue is somehow getting stuck somewhere along the way that the labels are kind of hold on to, holding on to more than they should? Or is there some fundamental shift that that's happened that there's just as less music to go around or is it some combination of those two things kind of to what extent can cobalt and things like cobalt fix this problem and yeah. to what extent is it more kind of systemic in the industry
1: yeah I think there's two things that have to happen um, one is just the volume itself will eventually get there I mean right now you're really only I mean Spotify you know wait till it gets to a billion subscribers you know, I mean, it's it's not even in many major countries around the world. You know, Russia is not being monetized. China, most of Asia, there is so much money. Latin America, in many places, there's so much money being left on the table everywhere. And also, you know, s- streaming is still new. It's 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 a younger generation that's adopting it. So in ten years from now, when that as that younger generation grows up and streaming becomes you know, much more of the norm, the volume of users and ultimately subscription, you know, monthly pay payment will grow. And as that grows, we think over the next sort of two to three years, the music industry will get back to generating the amount of revenue that it did in its heyday. If Spotify and Apple Music and some of the others are able to, you know, grow and expand and also probably get smarter at, you know, their models, the advertising models, the, you know, tiered pricing is, is it that everybody should pay 99? You know, there's a student discount, there's five, there's a family pack for like, it's like $23 a month. So it's, there's lots of different levels. Have they got that hundred percent right yet? No. So, you know, they need to play around with that, but it's going to grow and it's, it's, it is happening. So, as that grows, you know, in a couple years' time from now, um, we will get to the point where you have mass, and and once you have mass, and everybody's paying, you know, maybe it's three dollars at that point, but you know, if it's two billion dollars, two sorry, two billion people paying three billion, you know, it, it the numbers the numbers start to make sense. Um, so there's volume, which right now we don't have in the industry, but we will eventually. Um, and and also another thing to know is these legitimate services are killing piracy and and that's what when there's so so many like arrows pointed at at Spotify and um you know legitimate streaming services people what they don't realize is they they're eliminating piracy because they're making it so much easier for people to to, to purchase and and to pay for music so for example about uh I guess eight years ago now, the piracy rate in Sweden was over 80%. So in fact, Sony, we were about to close down Sweden as a country. I mean as you know, as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, because we weren't making money, we were losing money. Right. I mean, when your market is 80, 80 to 85% piracy, there's nothing to be done there. Uh-huh. T- today, okay, so obviously then Spotify launched, and that's why Spotify worked, because, because we had everyone had lost Sweden. Everyone's like, well, there's this company that kind of wants to stream it. And There mm-hmm. were companies before that that wanted to do it, but no one would let them because everyone was right. ner- nervous. But was like, well, we have nothing to lose in Sweden. We've already lost the country, so mm-hmm. let's try it out. And then what started to happen is the country started to come back. Then we saw actually we were making money from Spotify. And so they said, okay, why don't you try this out in Europe as the rest of Europe started to dive. And then Europe started making money, and then they, they were allowed into America. And so it was... You know, s- slow, as a test, if you will. Right. Um, right. Today, the the piracy rate in Sweden is below four percent. So um. o- over eight years, you've gone from eight over eighty percent to four percent. Why? Mm-hmm. Because there's a legitimate alternative, and right. if you roll that out into India and and Eastern Europe and you know Russia and China and Asia, all through the world, there's a legitimate. The case for you know a a powerful, strong music industry. Um, Mm. So that so that's the volume thing. That's one. And then two is the other thing that you mentioned, which is you know the pipes are broken. So uh, the model's broken. So right now, for example, the majors you know they own they own uh, shares in Spotify. Um, They have gotten advances from Spotify. Um, so when 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 Spotify pays out um, royalties, well they don't have to pay the record companies for all because they've already given advances to the record companies. Well, mm-hmm. are the record companies paying those advances through to their artists I, I don't know, but obviously the artists are complaining that they're not being paid so and 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 also I mean there's so many things to talk about here, but the pipes are broken so for example right now if you're not a cobalt client there are collection societies in each country okay so there's a collection society in in Spain let's say okay and these are mostly government funded monopolies and and so there's only one in each country mm-hmm. and and they go around and they collect money from you know the local again pubs and and clubs and Spaces they collect performance royalties, but somehow they've wiggled their way to also um, collect from the DSPs, the digital service providers. So I'm a I'm a, if 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 you're a um, collection society in Spain, then you're collecting for the for the for the usage of in Spain of spot from Spotify from YouTube. So even though Spotify and YouTube are are collecting money from everyone, and they're they're working centrally, globally. They're a global company. Still, they have to account to Spain locally for their Spanish um, usage. And then Spain has to figure out, OK, out of all of these payments, then now we have to divvy it all up and send some of it back to their European region, and some of it then back to the US, and who gets accounted for what. And it's all over the place. So the pi- it, it, again, that's why it takes two to three years for we be able to get paid, because everything's being done locally. Because there's not one global infrastructure, like global system, and th- and that's where Spotify, or sorry, that's where Cobalt, it makes all the difference. Cobalt, if you imagine, we we collect directly from Spotify for all of our clients for everywhere around the world. So we go we go through our company called Amra, we go directly to Spotify, and we say. You know, pay us for all of our clients. And it makes sense. Like, I'm sure you're sitting there going, well, of course you would do that. Why would you pay out to every local country? And then the publisher has to go out to every single country. Hundreds. There's over 100 plus territories around the world um, who have collection societies. Then if you're a publisher, you have to go to every one of those companies, collect everything back centrally. It's, It's a mess. Yeah. So so I think there are two problems. One is just volume. We're not there yet, but we will get there. And then two, the structure itself is broken. It has to be centralized. We have to adopt technology to do everything more efficiently, more transparently, um, because so much is not being shown.
0: Yeah. So the, the other question that I have, I guess, around all of this is to what extent is kind of ad supported streaming a good thing or a bad thing? Because, I mean, there's an RIA report a little while ago, which suggested that vinyl was actually a bigger revenue generator in the US than ad supported streaming last year. Um, you know, paid streaming seems to be a lot more. Uh, generating a lot more revenue off a much smaller base of users. And then you've got the IFPI and the RAA, I think both kind of waging campaigns against YouTube right now about the small rates that they pay out and wanting to renegotiate those rates and so on. So kind of to what extent is is ad-supported streaming a good thing and that it kind of expands the streaming market? To what extent is it a bad thing and that it pays out such small amounts that what you really want is to get everybody on paid streaming?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. The ad-streaming market is a means to an end. So it's, it's, I think it's silly to compare the ad streaming market to, to vinyl sales because vinyl sales is the end. You, you, you don't go anywhere. You don't upgrade from vinyl to CD. You, you stop at vinyl ad streaming sales is all about driving adoption to subscription. So, and, and Spotify has proven it like scientific mathematically that, you know, and I don't know the numbers, but I've seen it in different presentations, but a certain percentage of the population, once they've tried it and they've tried it enough through the ad-supported um, service, they upgrade. And and it's like, a, I think it's 80% of their premium subscribers have come from the ad-supported free tier. So mm-hmm. it's 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 not about comparing one to the other. It's about how do we give people, well, not we, how do the DSPs, Give people an experience in the ad, you know, on Spotify, we're talking, let's say, specifically Spotify, um, in the ad free space to help them upgrade to subscription. And YouTube's mm-hmm. now following the same thing. I mean, YouTube.
0: You know, the, yeah, and the yeah they, launched, mm-hmm. they
1: launched Red and now they're trying to do the same thing. There's a, there's a free tier and now they're trying to get people to, to upgrade to subscription. Um, that's the future. That's the way people move. And and you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, you know, we should kill ad supported, um, you know, free, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what Spotify says, and we believe as well, is that only drives people to piracy. In, right. in, instead of driving people back to piracy, why not keep them in the ad... F- free the the free space help help them get a better experience and then but don't make it too good and then get them hooked on streaming and then help them see you know 10 dollars a month i mean people spend that you know on two 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 starbucks coffees i mean it, we're not you know and, and and there's student rates for 5 dollars a month i mean you know a meal at mcdonald's one meal is 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 more than that so it's like it doesn't feel, to me anyway, like mm-hmm. it, this isn't $30 a month. Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. and and so we just, it's about, you know, giving them something, that experience where they get used to streaming they understand it and they see the value. And then when they do, they will subscribe. And then you're just driving up subscription numbers.
0: Right. So do you think it's a mistake for, say, Apple Music not to have a free tier? Because, I mean, they've got what, 13 million subscribers, I guess they announced this week um you know it's a decent number from nothing a year ago but um you know Spotify obviously has this model where you know they have I guess four times as many free as paid subscribers and they use that as a funnel as you're suggesting so you know is it a mistake for Apple Music to go that way um or does it still work because people kind of try the free model elsewhere and then maybe migrate I And mean, what do you think about all of that and, and what do you think about Apple Music in general
1: um <laughs> is a very political question <laughs> um
0: I know you got you have relationships, obviously with with course, Apple Music as well as Spotify. So of,
1: of course, yeah, yeah, and obviously I'm a huge, just personal Apple fan. Um, to me, Apple's a different proposition. Apple Music's a different proposition in that every phone they sell has, you know, iTunes, Apple Music all built in. So, you know, they have you know, an automatic subscription base, if you will, that's there, right. and hmm. and people are you already have their credit cards in the system and. You know, to get from A to B, it it's not as big of a pull because they're already they've already got everyone. It's already downloaded. You know, Mm -hmm. it's almost like you don't need the free tier because people already have the free tier, if you will. Um, The other thing as well is that basically Apple's counting on the fact that you know Spotify, you know, they're the loudest, if you will, in the market, and Apple Music waited, you know, for ten years. Mm -hmm. And Spotify's and Pandora as well. But Spotify's been out there sort of with the free tier and and Pandora at the same time with the free tier. The people are starting to get used to it. And then Apple comes in and is like, well, you know, you have to pay to be on here. But, you know, Spotify's already done a lot of the heavy lifting and let people know, you know, what the experience is like. And then you add that with, well, Apple Music's already downloaded on, you know, it's already on the phones as an app. And then if you notice, like every time you, you know, connect your phone to your car, it automatically goes to Apple Music, like if you have an iPhone. It just, their whole ecosystem, you know, it doesn't go back to Spotify if that was the last thing you were using. It goes directly to to Apple Music. So their whole ecosystem is driving people again and again and again back to Apple Music. So it's not a surprise to me that subscriptions are rising because I think Apple's a sort of special case. Um, But uh, I, I believe that without the free tier, Spotify would never have gotten started. And, right. and they couldn't have gotten out of, um, of, of Sweden. And luckily mm-hmm. they did. And whether Apple Music, you know, should do free tier or not, I,
0: I don't know. That's the end of the interview with Ryan. I hope that was useful and interesting for you. I know we've talked about music a couple of times previously on the podcast, but it's great to get an expert in and share that inside view of what's happened over the last 15 years and where things might go from here. I'll post a link to the Cobalt website on the podcast website so that you can easily follow that and read more about them if you're interested in doing that. Thanks to Ryan for taking the time. Really appreciate that, and it was great to have him on. Uh, Again, this is the first of two weeks in which Aaron will be away, so we'll do something different next week as well. I haven't completely finalized that yet, but it should be good again, and then we'll return to our normal format the week after that. So thanks again for being with us, and we'll talk to you next week.